Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. Let us pray. Resurrected God, your disciples were huddled in a hidden room, afraid your death, afraid your death, afraid your death, no, excuse me. Resurrected God, your disciples were huddled in a hidden room after your death, afraid and guarded. You came to them there, where we are hidden and huddled behind locked doors and with guarded hearts. Send your living word that we may be unafraid and that we may believe. Amen. The first scripture reading for today comes from the book of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So, So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Hear now these words from Acts. The apostles were brought before the council in Jerusalem where the high priest confronted them. In no uncertain terms, we demanded that you not teach in Jesus' name. And look at you. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you are determined to hold us responsible for this man's death. Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than humans. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God has exalted Jesus to his right side as leader and savior so that he could enable Israel to change its heart and life and find forgiveness for its sins. We are witnesses of such things, as is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. The Castle Rock wildfire 
was ignited by a single lightning bolt on the warm and windy afternoon of August 16, 2007. The lightning struck in the Sawtooth National Forest just west of the town of Ketchum, Idaho. The fast-moving wildfire doubled in size rapidly over the first few days and rapidly spread over more than 48,000 acres, covering rugged, heavily forested mountains. This made Castle Rock, for a time, the number one priority wildfire in the United States. So by way of comparison, that 75 square miles would cover almost all of Washtenaw County. On a hiking and fly fishing vacation with our son and his wife, we watched slack-jawed from their porch as fierce winds sent a wall of flames roaring down Greenhorn Gulch and toward town. It barely missed homes and produced a towering column of fire and smoke and ash. To the south, fast-moving flames raced uphill up all the way to the 9,000-foot summit of Ball Mountain, the pinnacle of the Sun Valley ski area. It came within 50 yards of the mountaintop lodge. Column after column, day after day, of dense smoke rose up to the west of town while an army of more than 1,700 firefighters with helicopters and fire trucks and air tankers and bulldozers all worked to control this fast-moving blaze. Now in Jerusalem, the high priest spotted a wildfire beginning and started to control it. Crucifying and burying Jesus looked like the best option to silence this rabble-riser and control this outburst of rowdy commotion. If he could just tamp down this incendiary atmosphere then he could return to the real story of his life with Jesus out of the picture. He could be again the nation's primary religious leader, and there would be no doubt about who would be in charge. And yes, it was a challenging job to serve as the chief priest of Israel, but with the temple and all that staff to manage, as well as the Romans looking over his shoulder. If word of this Jesus movement were to reach the emperor in Rome, there would be no telling what would occur. He, the high priest, was exasperated, though, because the execution and death of this Jesus generated only three days of calm before the disciples burst from their secure hiding place with the claim that this Jesus had been raised, resurrected to new life. And now in the days leading up to Pentecost, the flames were starting to explode all over again. And so as the high priest's exasperation rose, so did his efforts to bar Jesus' disciples, especially the one named Peter, bar them from teaching and healing and preaching about this crucified and risen one. To be honest, the disciples gave the high priest indigestion. They made his head spin. And the one called Peter was particularly irksome. Peter had been jailed once, but when the council of elders gathered to hear the appeal, they could find no reason to keep him detained. So the chief priest was determined not to repeat that mistake. 
So on this arrest, he confined immediately Peter and his companions. He did not read them their Miranda rights. There was no single phone call given. But honestly, the jail cell was beside the point because the Spirit of God could and did breach any barrier. For before daylight, Peter and his friends had returned to the scene of their crime. They'd picked up just where they had left off. They were teaching about God's work in the world. Until the temple police found him, he was free to tell the story of Jesus a few more times to a few more people. He would not be found terrified and hiding. The whole point of being free was free to do ministry, free to testify to the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This Acts passage is a story from the early church about the challenges of believing and following Jesus in a world that's as full of doubt and shadows as it ever has been. Everyone here, Peter and the disciples, plus the chief priest and the council of elders, everyone had witnessed firsthand the life, the trial, the death, and now the resurrection of Jesus. Everyone involved now has eyes to see this new fire, this spirit holy and potent released in the world. One party is ecstatic, while the other party is terrified. The contrast between the mindset and mission of the high priest and that of Peter is striking. The priest is beset by fear and anger. He's later focused on his mission of shutting Peter's witness down. But Peter, who is focused on spreading good news, bears a resilient and joyful attitude as he sets himself on fire as a witness to the power of God to change the world. There is an old spiritual witness that has as its refrain, my soul is a witness for the Lord. The song is arranged as a kind of ascending spiral with Each stanza reciting one of a list of biblical characters. It begins with Methuselah, the oldest man in the Bible. Methuselah was a witness for my Lord. And then Noah was a witness. And then Moses and Sarah and Abraham and Samson and David. All are witnesses for the Lord. Deborah and Miriam and Queen Esther and Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel... Daniel in the lion's den, all are witnesses for the Lord. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Martha, all are witnesses for our Lord. And after moving through the list of biblical characters, the soloist asks at the end, Now, who will be a witness for my Lord? And the preachers in tradition would pause in the midst of the message and ask, Now, can I get a witness? It was a rhetorical device making bold a point crucial to the life and meaning of the gospel. Asking the question was a call, summoning a response from the people, but on a deeper level when the preachers asked, can I get a witness? They weren't just about evoking a shout in the congregation, but they were about evoking an audacious witness lived in the world. They were pressing for a shift from ordinary participation to 
to a radical following of the one who is risen and among us today. Can I get a witness beyond the walls of this congregation? After the resurrection, after Easter, the paradigm of the church shifts to revolve around those very first witnesses. Peter and Thomas, the first disciples. A witness is, of course, one who gives evidence, one who has personal knowledge of something. A witness points to something else. And so a Christian witness points to the activity of God in the world. Peter was a witness, as was Thomas and Mary and Joanna and Mary Magdalene, the women who went to the tomb on Easter morning. And we too are witnesses these days. That is the identity Jesus has given us. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. And today Peter reinforces those words for us. The God of our ancestors has raised this Jesus from the dead, and we are witnesses of such things. So the question for us today is, what kind of witnesses are we? C.S. Lewis reminds us that Christ told us to judge by the results. A tree is known by its fruit, and as we say, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. When we Christians behave badly or fail to behave well, we are making Christianity unbelievable to the outside world. So does my life, does your life, does the life of our congregation give a witness to the action and work of God in our community and in the larger world? What are we doing to witness to the resurrected Christ? What kind of witness are we? Remember, Jesus' ministry began with these words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of our Lord. So can I get a witness today to Jesus who said, I assure you that when you have done this for the least of these brothers and sisters, you have done it for me. Are there witnesses to the Jesus who said, Blessed are the poor, blessed are those who are merciful, the compassionate. Blessed are those who hunger and sing for peace, that it might break out in the world. Blessed are those who imagine and labor and pray and thirst, that God's righteous judgment might prevail. Are there witnesses to the Christ who said, You shall love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. Can I get a witness today? Jesus had his job, and we who follow in his path and his disciples, we have a job too. And ours is to witness, to witness and point to God's kingdom of justice and compassion and love. Witness to it, work for it, pray for it, sing to it, point to it. Work and pray to end poverty, work and pray to end hunger. Work and pray to house every man, woman, and child. Work for a healthy planet. Pray for clean water for all people. Work and pray for an end to disease. Visit the dark places of the world. Visit those who are burdened and in distress. Work and pray for an end to 
all things that fight against a welcome of all God's people. Work and pray for gender equality. Work for education. Work for all of God's children. Work for meaningful work for all. Work and pray. Do the work of the gospel of God. Witness to the love of God that we have known in Jesus. Witness to God's rule and reign. God has God's job to do and we do ours. So can I get a witness this day? It's easy enough to be overwhelmed by the enormity of the needs and problems of the world that we might simply just give up. But we're not contemned to continuous despair in the way that things are or always have been. To paraphrase the words of the late Bishop Oscar Romero, we surely can't do everything, but we can do something. And if we do something, God promises to add grace and hope to it, and something will happen to transform the world to make it reflect God's kingdom. And we are witnesses. And so as we worship this morning, this day, a small band of Presbyterians is already at work in Nicaragua, breaking down barriers and building a school classroom with our partners there. And while you were watching the snow flurries yesterday, another band of Presbyterians were witnessing to God's love by rehabbing a house for some neighbors in Ypsilanti. And this morning, at this time, children are witnessing as they walk through Burns Park, witnessing to the presence of God in our community and in their lives. So does your life point out beyond something? Does your life point beyond yourself? Does our community of faith point beyond First Pres and Ann Arbor? We aren't called to be successful, but we are called to be effective in the mission of transforming the world. The church could be filled to capacity, but have no witnesses. Jesus never gave us a quota, thank goodness, but he did give us a calling. And the base of our calling is for the life of the church to flow out of the witness to the living Christ resurrected among us. The church flows out of that witness. The divides we make, the lines we draw, the doors we lock may not be barriers at all to this Christ who has come among us. The power of the Spirit He confers is just not containable. It is like a wildfire. This is the Easter proclamation, and we have cause to expect the risen Christ to show up, to answer our prayers, to give us what we most need, to break into the closed-off places and pour out the Holy Spirit upon us, not once and for all, and not just on some, but over and over again for all of God's people. Amen and amen. Lord, we pray for the world, its many human borders, wars, starving children, suffering nations, and ill populations, that in these troubles we may find a sense of healing in you. We pray for the victims of terror and hostility, for Brussels and for Pakistan. We pray for the refugees and prisoners of war. Lord, be with them. We pray for our leaders, that their decisions will reflect not their own interests, but evidence of your guidance and will. We pray for the church, 
that our unity will only strengthen in faith and in Christ. We pray for our city, that as we hurry from one thing to the next, we remember your presence and that we are not alone. We pray for this church body, Lord. Be with us in our times of loss and trial as we look forward to all the adventures that lay ahead. May we remember that you are with us in all we do. Lord, help us to always seek you, no matter the twists and turns that we encounter in life. Help us to remember the power in the gift of faith and the goodness that lives within it. Holy God, we remember your Son, his life with the humble, his death among the wretched, his resurrection for us all, your wisdom, our guide, your justice, our strength, your grace, our path to rebirth. Loving God, grant us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know you better. May your peace, which transcends all understanding, guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Remembering all your mighty and merciful acts, we take this bread and this wine from the gifts you have given us and celebrate with joy the redemption won for us in Jesus Christ. Accept this, our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, as a living and holy offering of ourselves, that our lives may proclaim the one crucified and risen. This and more we pray in the name of the one who brings peace, Jesus Christ, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.